Welcome in, hockey fans in the desert southwest. It is a day-late version of Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Scott Strandy live in Scottsdale, Arizona. Seth Askelson live somewhere in Arizona. I'm just not sure where, but he's here somewhere. Seth, how are you this evening? I'm good. How about yourself? Uh, well, I was hoping we'd be talking about better things after watching uh, Vegas Golden Knights and the Coyotes both play last night and bumping our podcast tonight. But, ah, man, every time I watch the Arizona Coyotes, I just go like, please, 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 let this be the time that they, they show some fortitude and do something, and, and then they fall flat. And I know you saw the game last night as well, so let's start right there. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts about last night. Uh, it, it's over. I, you hate to say it, right? I mean, there's 12 games left, but those were an important two points. Yeah, you lose to Calgary, and that's tough. Uh, but Winnipeg is the team you are chasing, and handing those two points away when you don't have games in hand. I mean, the Coyotes are in the worst spot in this all. They're not – they ever? don't have any games in hand against ev- anybody. And for some teams, they're three games ahead of other teams. So um, – like I said last week, I think we would have, we would be in a better spot in terms of, you know, I said I would feel – I would know my feelings a little bit better, you know, once they started to catch up in terms of games played. And they have, right? Like I think teams are really starting to catch – you know, obviously it's based on the schedule, but teams are starting to catch up on that. Um, and I know my feelings a little bit better, and they're uh, a little, little more bleak than I was thinking they would be uh, around this time last week. Well, I put together something today, and I haven't shown it to you yet. I was just kind of playing around with it. I called it the uh, the Arizona Coyotes and the Vegas Golden Knights Dirty Dozen, the Dirty Dozen games that are left. The uh, The first game of the Dirty Dozen for the Golden Knights was actually last night, a 3-2 overtime thriller uh, against the Edmonton Oilers. That leaves them at 39-24-8 and 86 points atop the uh, Pacific Division. And the Arizona Coyotes start their dirty dozen on Thursday night against the Canucks. So right now the uh, Coyotes at 33-29-8 and eight and 74 points. So just to put it into perspective for you folks, uh, 12 games remaining, a possible 24 points. Uh, the very max, if you win out, is uh, by my count 96, which uh, <laughs> winning out is going to be a tough task, but uh, the Arizona Coyotes are going to get a shot to play at home at least for the next one, two, three, four, five games. So what's your thoughts on uh, at least trying to make it close? They have to go 5-0 and at home. I hate to say it, and it's hard and it's insurmountable, but they've put themselves in this spot where they have to do something like that now. Right? Like you get to a certain point in the season, that's what people are like, oh, the beginning of the season doesn't matter in some ways it doesn't, right? Like it, obviously you see the Coyotes just because you win in November doesn't mean you're going to the playoffs, but winning a couple of those extra games in December, you and I talked about this a lot. I think mainly it was uh, me talking to you more of a one-way conversation about you don't want to be in a position where you're looking back in December and saying, Oh, we could have got two points here. We could have got an extra point here, maybe another two points. And all of a sudden, what are we doing? We're looking back at those games in December, January, early February, you know, when they lost to the Flames, when they were up, you know, in the third period with up by two goals in the third period with five minutes to go. They gave a point away there. 
when they were leading Dallas 2-0 in the third period, a game that um, I was at, at Gila River, that, and they lost in regulation. That's two points right there. I mean, I haven't looked at the entire schedule to do that, but right there, I just came up with three points. That if the Coyotes have those three points, they're in a wild card spot, and they're pushing Calgary for third place in the Pacific. Now that they don't have those three points, yeah, you're talking about a team whose season might be over by the next time we have another podcast episode. Yep, I uh, I fully fully agree with you there. Um, when I look at the schedule, I go, okay, Canucks coming up Thursday night. Okay, that's a possibility. You can win at home against them. The Rangers coming in a Saturday night. That's that's a possibility. The team that scares the heck out of me though is the uh, the uh, Dallas Stars on the 16th, and then again the Golden Knights on the 18th. Uh, those two are going to be really, really tough games. And if they come through those four, and I'm going to try to be out at all four because I don't have a lot of NCAA or ACHA happening until the uh, the 19th when I'll be on my way to Dallas to uh, to see those games. But um, I'm going to get a good first-hand look and see what they have. Now, you cover the, the Coyotes for us. I do a lot of the Golden Knights stuff. And, you know, I tried to compare – last night in my head, what's the difference between these two teams? Because they both got two great goaltenders now, right? If they're healthy, they both have, um, you know, some experienced defensemen. And you know what I found, uh, Seth, this is my analysis of the two. When I look at the, uh, the golden Knights and the coyotes side by side, I find guys on the golden Knights that just get it done right. Last night it was Jonathan Marshall and, and Max Pacioretty, and keep in mind they're playing without Mark Stone this right now, who's out with an injury for an extended period of time. And then Shea uh, Theodore comes through again with a uh, terrific game-winning goal. And the, it, when you watch the Golden Knights play, it's like you just expect that they're going to dig down and somebody's going to come out with a win. And I keep thinking on the Coyotes' side of things, where is Phil Kessel? Where is Taylor Hall? Where's Clayton Keller? Why aren't these guys stepping up? Where's Oliver Ekman Larson uh, being that guy to finish it off? And I know he's done some of that, so I don't want to be, you know, dragging down on the Arizona Coyotes, but I think that's a difference. We just need to have somebody step up and do something. And you see them all the time. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's somebody has to finish on that team. And right. Phil Kessel, I don't think he. Phil Kessel's got a lot of heat, right? Like, I, he's a guy that, oh, he's supposed to come in. He's supposed to score 30, 40 goals. He's the one to jump side this off. Phil Kessel's played well. I think he's yeah. – last night, his his line was the only the only line to get two goals. It was Nick Schmaltz, Carl Soderberg, Phil Kessel, and they got both of the Coyotes goals in the first period. I think he's played well. Yeah, he might not be putting up 40 goals, but he's contributing, I think, a little more than people want to give him credit for. He does – he – should have scored more goals this year. Yes, I agree. But he's still affecting the game. But, I mean, he had two point-blank chances last night in the second period. and he Or one in the second, one in the third, and he didn't put them through. And that's that's the difference, you know. Yeah, a, a typical hockey player or, you know, you or I couldn't go out there and finish those chances. But that's the difference from a team that's going to make the playoffs and a team that doesn't make the playoffs is you, you know, you can say all you want, you know, it's a tough play. You know, you're not always going to bury him. Sometimes the goalie's going to make a good save, but at this time of year, you have to have those. And if you're not going to get those, then you're not going to make the playoffs. So um, Oliver ekman Larson has a, had a really bad season. He's had a really bad couple of seasons. Um, not exactly sure what that's due to. Um, 
had some injury concerns. Uh, I know three years ago, the passing of his mother was very hard on him and, and very understandable, right? Like that's, right. that's something yeah. that's going to be hard on everybody in life, no matter what. So um, he's had, a, he's just had some tough, tough years in terms of personal stuff, um, injuries. And uh, I think at this point for just the Coyotes team, not necessarily one, one in particular, you go out and you get Carl Soderberg to shore up that second, third line center depth. You go out and get Phil Kessel to try to get a score. You go out and you get Taylor Hall to try and get that first line superstar winger, former MVP and, and a former MVP only two years ago. So last year it was, okay, this team's hurt. You know, they didn't have their full compliments. Let's see what they do with their full compliments. What's the excuse now? What is it now? And, you know, that's kind of what I'm at the point. It's like, okay, where does this get better? Like, it's one of those things where I, I I felt this way about the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2018, where they're coming off a playoff year. They seemingly got better, and they had a big collapse in the back half of the year and missed the playoffs. And you just kind of sit <laughs> oh, there yes. and you're like, okay, you're like, okay, where? How does this team get better without handcuffing themselves? Right? Like, how does this team become better? And this is supposed to be the Coyotes take the next step. Next year, obviously they're going to want to try and keep Taylor Hall, right? Okay. I, I think they'll do it. I think he'll stay. I, a lot of people are like, oh, he's not going to stay. If you look at it, what cup contender, you know, because if Taylor Hall doesn't say he's going to want to go to a cup contender, right? What cup contender has cap room? Washington, no. Um, uh, Tampa Bay, not even close. Boston's locked up with a lot of their guys. I mean, in terms of serious – cup contender long-term, it's tough. Maybe Edmonton, but all of a sudden, you know, guys like Yamamoto and, or, uh, Yamamoto, excuse me, and Ethan Bear and, and Jones have really stepped up. So you're going to have to pay those guys soon, right? Like, so my thing is, is the Coyotes are in a good situation cap-wise. Soderbergh comes off the books. Brad Richardson comes off the books. I'm sure you could find a way to get rid of Michael Grabner's contract, if it really came down to it, like they could find a way to move some money. Alex Goligoski had a, had a breakout season, but okay. So, you know, you lose all that money, um, which is good, but you lose some of that, that player. So say you do trade a guy like Alex Goligoski, who's been really pivotal to this Coyotes team who comes in and fills in, right? Like you would hope it's Capo Bianco, but you've seen at times he's struggled. I just, I just don't know what the next move is for this Coyotes team that makes them any different from what they are this year. And maybe it, maybe it isn't something from a roster standpoint. Maybe it's something, maybe it's something from behind the bench standpoint, who knows, who knows, right? Like, I just don't know. I, I like I said, I, you missed the playoffs this year with a roster that I, I wouldn't say this, Going in, a lot of people are like, oh, this is a Stanley Cup contender roster. But you got a lot of guys that know how to win, that have won before. And now you're in a situation where you might not make the playoffs and you don't have your first round. I think that's another thing with the Taylor Hall. You traded your first round pick and maybe the deepest draft this century. You know, obviously the century still has 80 more years to it, but, you know, <laughs> arguably, arguably deeper than the 2003 draft that you know, a lot of those guys are still playing. So, you know, in the offseason, you're going to say, okay, we didn't get our first round pick, so we might as well keep Taylor Hall because, 
you know, well, what are we going to do? Just keep her, you know, sit there with their hands tied. Be interesting to see if they trade back into the first round, but what assets do they have that would get them back into the first round? It's they're in a real weird spot if they don't make the playoffs. Um, you know, obviously if, if they find a way to make the playoffs, everything works. Not ideal to let Taylor Hall walk, but if he walks, you probably don't feel too bad about it. But Hey, you're just, you're in an odd spot. You're in a really odd spot. It's like, if you don't make the playoffs, did you set yourself back another two to three years? I don't know. Yep. Totally agree with you. It is an odd spot. It's something that, uh, you know, <laughs> from the Coyotes perspective, you, you look at it so many times they've been in difficult quote unquote odd spots, whether it be an ownership issue or an arena issue or a fan issue or whatever it may be. And it really seems like right now, at least off the ice, the ownership uh, things have stabilized the job that Aaron Cohen's doing and bringing in fans and, getting the excitement and the quote unquote rally the Valley or hashtag rally the Valley. Uh, they're doing everything they can off the ice to, uh, to, to promote these guys. And I think it's just, you gotta have somebody stand up and you know, this weekend I had a chance to see the uh, professional women's hockey players association play against the, uh, the uh, Arizona Coyotes alumni. And when I was watching on the ice and I saw, um, Zabina McCulloch and I saw Ray Whitney and I saw Shane Doan and I even saw a guy like Greg Adams um, out there. I was going like, you know, are they missing leadership? And I know this has been bounced around an awful lot. And, you know, I mean, you can't really fault Oliver Ekman Larson. The fact, I mean, he's Swedish, right? And it, has he really been able to grasp control of what a national hockey league captain needs to be um you know we know oliver we've seen him we've talked to him he's he, he's a very easygoing person and i just don't know if he's the guy to step up that locker room especially with a bunch of young guys and and move them forward i mean we knew when shane Doan was in the locker room that motivation and holding guys accountable was not going to be an issue just a quick uh response from you on that what do you think of uh Oliver Ekman Larson, the job he's doing as a captain, not on the ice necessarily, but off the ice. I think with a team like this, what I mean by a team like this is a team that geared up in the offseason, you know, or as close to the year before, I think they should be in the playoffs, et cetera, is falling short. You really you start questioning captaincy, right? Like, oh, well, should he be the leader? Like, Last year when the Leafs were struggling real bad, you know, at the end of the year it was, oh, well, why don't they have a C on anybody? Why does everybody have A's? I I don't think there's necessarily a problem right that, right? Like if if you're telling me Oliver Ekman Larson who sent who spent the better part of six years in a locker room with Shane Doan doesn't didn't grasp how to be an NHL captain, I mean, you'd have to tell me that Ekman Larson just went in the locker room and closed his eyes and ears and didn't pay attention to anybody, right? Like it's it's hard to miss that. So I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's just this team doesn't have I, – I don't know what it is. I just don't know what it is. It, it's so hard to tell because it they're in games, right? It's not like they're going out there and they're getting blown out. And, you know, they're just getting, you know, slammed. I, it, is it a physical aspect is it of a game? Is it that, you know, they get up two goals and, and they just don't keep their foot on the gas? I don't know. I don't think it's – 
don't think it has anything to do with Ekman Larson in terms of capitancy. I think it's just, you know, and in the NHL, yes, it, you need to have a good leader, a good motivator, but I, you got to be, you got to be self-motivated, right? Like that's one of those things where, yeah, sure. It's nice to have a couple of those guys who lead and kind of, you know, push everything back in when things are getting a little out of hand. But I mean, these guys got to be self-motivated. You, you got to know what it takes and, that's what baffles me about this team just in general is there's a lot of guys on that team that have won Stanley Cups that have gotten deep in the playoffs. You know, Nick Jarmelson, Brad Richardson, Carl Soderberg last year went to the second round and he was on the Bruins for a while. Um, it, you know, you have guys that, that know how to win. Alex Goligoski's won a cup before. Like you have these guys that know how to win. And I know it was a long time ago. Um, you know, it, it's been, a while since the Blackhawks won a Stanley cup. And it's been a while since Richardson was on that Kings team. And, uh, you know, Goligoski won before the turn of the decade. Like it, it's just, I know it's a long time and the league's a little bit different, but it's, it's still the same thing, right? Like why, you know, Tampa's still successful. They drafted Steven Stamkos 10 years ago and they're still finding ways to win 10 years later. Now I know Stamkos is out, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like, Right. There's yeah. a lot of guys in that locker room that have no, that know how to win, and I know the last time they, in terms of you know major Stanley Cup wins, was was a while ago. It, the league hasn't changed that much in, in terms of how you win a hockey game in a close show. So that's what baffles me. Is there's a Phil Kessel won a Stanley Cup two years ago? Like right. you know what I mean? You do have those guys who've even won recently, and Rick Target was on that coaching staff. So I I don't know what it is. I just well, I, let me let, let me interject two things and get your thoughts on this. What seems to be the Achilles heel for the Coyotes in the games that I've seen them play is they'll play really solid for a majority of the game, maybe even 50 minutes out of a 60-minute game, but they'll make a couple of mistakes you can't make. And it seems like every time, like last night, I think it was three or four mistakes, and all of them ended up in the back of the net. So I think it's the mistakes that they're not able to – to recover from. And again, I'll compare them to the golden Knights cause I watch them an awful lot for our program, but um, they they'll make a mistake, but it, it's not one that kills them. Right. It, it's not a lone breakaway or it's not setting your goaltender up to dry. And, and I don't know why they continue to make those mistakes, but it, that seems to be one thing. And then the other thing if it is, is they, they don't seem to play very well when they pull their goaltender. I'm at the point right now where I think they generate, Better chances. Last night was better, but how many times have you seen them go six on five and it end up being an empty net goal and over with? And you think to yourself, would they have been better just to go five on five and and see if they could create some opportunities rather than pulling the goaltender? Yeah, I think part of that is is almost a little bit of panic that your goalie's out right over six on five. We can't give up the puck. So they start. They think it. They think it a little too hard, right? Like, okay, don't boy, I think you hit that pass. right on the head. I was wondering if you were going to come out with that. And and I think it's okay. Don't make that pass because it's dangerous and it gets picked. And the next thing you know, you're getting your stick lifted and it's going the other way. Anyways, it's when you're down at this time of year, you just got to throw everything. And you know, we've seen pucks take crazy bounces, right? Like guys shoot and pass harder than ever. Those sticks are light. It's not wood sticks where you know somebody can just stop a, a 90 mile an hour pass dead in its tracks and shoot it the other way. You know, you, you gotta get right. you gotta be pretty strong on your stick. So, I mean, at, at that point, I think sometimes they're, 
they're thinking it a little too hard. They're saying, okay, we'll just, you know, don't give us a fuck here. We'll, you know, wait for our shot. And then all of a sudden it's the other way and, and you're defending, right? And I think what other teams at the National Hockey League level, when they see the goalie get pulled, they become a little more aggressive, right? Like, yeah, you oh, have yeah. six on five, you have the advantage, but, but 11 players in one zone of the ice, that's a lot of room getting right. There's not you any know, it's, time it's, and space, is there? <laughs> right. So I think guys are a little more, you know, on, on who are defending those are, okay, we'll follow a guy up the wall a little bit, or we'll follow a guy all the way to the point because, okay, he passes it back in. Well, it's got to hit somebody within the next 15 inches because it's just so jammed in that zone. So I think that's part right. of it. But I think they're, oh, they're overthinking it. They're, they're gripping the sticks a little bit too tight and, Look, everyone's like, "Oh, you were up two nothing, and and you blew a lead, and you know you couldn't hang on to that." A two nothing, you know, they always say a two goal lead is the most dangerous in hockey, but you got to score more than two goals. This NHL, this isn't the '90s where you can go up no. two nothing and it's a death sentence for the opposing team. You got to score three goals. If you're going to make the playoffs, yes. you got to score three goals a game. And the Coyotes aren't doing that, and it's it's difficult to watch. I mean, they're still they're still in the plus. Their goal differential is still plus, right? Like, they're playing great defense. They're getting great goaltending. I think that's another part of, of this team is how much of it was goaltending at the beginning of the year? Like, the, like was it – you know, everyone's like, oh, well, they got Taylor Hall, and now they're bad. It's like, yeah, I think I think part of it was is they were getting above-average goaltending that was – that a lot of – you know, people don't like analytics. I think a lot of older people are scared of analytics. But it was goaltending that a lot of analytics said – Mm, this isn't sustainable. This isn't, you know, beware, this isn't sustainable. And sure enough, that elite level goaltending wasn't. And again, that doesn't mean Darcy Kemper or Auntie Ranta or Aiden Hill are any worse than they were at the beginning of the year, but it's just the amount of numbers they were getting was not sustainable by, you know, Jesus Christ himself in that. Like it's, right. <laughs> it, you know, you were at one of those paces where it just, it just wasn't sustainable. And the Coyotes, they're plus eight right now, but what doesn't help? The team's in front of them. Winnipeg plus 11 in goal differential. Vancouver, I was actually watching Vancouver in New York, um, the Islanders, just before I jumped on. Uh, Vancouver's up 2 nothing. so presumably if they somehow hold on to a 2-1 lead, you know, they'll go to plus 11 in terms of goal differential. So, you know, yeah, you're plus 8 in goal differential. And, and here's another one. 5-5 five and five in the last 10 games. Not bad, right? Like if you're in November, you're like, oh, they're five and five in the last ten games. That's you know, that's good. That's not good enough for right now. When Nashville's six three and one, Winnipeg six three and one, Minnesota's seven and three, Calgary's six three and one, Edmonton's five three and two, and Vegas is eight and two. All of those teams in front of the Coyotes. That's their last ten games. Boy, you hit it in a nutshell. That's six. Yeah, that, that's exactly so, yeah, correct, Seth. You've hit it right on the head with that one. All right, let's take a quick break. Let's uh, come back, and we'll uh, we'll recap these, what I call the Dirty Dozen, the final 12 games that uh, remain for uh, both the Golden Knights and the Coyotes. Interesting enough, when we come back, the, uh, the Coyotes are going to go eight home games versus four on the road, and the Golden Knights are going to go eight on the road, four at home. So we'll kind of play devil's advocate here and see just exactly if there's any chance for, for these teams to make a, a run or do something differently. But let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. At the heart of any good cocktail, 
is the quality of the spirit used. And if you want to make the best margaritas, if you just want a straight shot of the best tasting tequila, then Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila is the brand for you. Award-winning Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails. Whether celebrating an overtime game winner or relaxing by the pool after a long work day, find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S. Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila, award-winning taste since 2011. I can't wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No. Stopping at Jesse Ray's Barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by offensive ribs? I'm in. Exactly. Jesse Ray's Barbecue. Located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork, smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for all their award-winning tastes. I can't wait. All right, and we're back. Uh, Seth Askelson and Scott Strandy live here from Arizona. We're talking NHL hockey. The uh, the AHL uh, team, the Tucson Rotor, is playing pretty darn well as well. But let's right now focus, Seth, on these uh, what I call the Dirty Dozen, the final 12 games. As I said in the open, the Golden Knights have already played game one of their Dirty Dozen. It was a 3-2 victory last night over the Edmonton Oilers. So they're going to have uh, 11 games remaining, and of those 11, they are going to be on the road for eight, and they're going to play three at home. Um, when I look at the Golden Knights, I'm going like, man, that team has played really well on the road, so I'm not too worried about what they do on the road. But, you know, starting on the 12th, they're going to go to Minnesota. Then they're going to come back to play the Avalanche in Colorado. Then they get a game at home against the Stars. But then on the 18th, they come right out after a back-to-back and, and face the Coyotes. So, you know, you go right down the list. They've got uh, they've got a really tough schedule as far as travel uh, coming down the stretch. I know they have 86 points. I know the Coyotes only have 74. But on the flip side of that, when you look at the Coyotes, they're going to go, as we mentioned, five in a row at home. Then they go on the road for two. And then they come back for one and two on the road. And then they finish with two at home where the Golden Knights will finish with two on the road. So when I say that, when I say eight and four at home versus four and eight at home, does that have any advantage to you uh, at this time? Or is it just the point that, hey, everybody's playing good hockey right now and it doesn't really matter where you play. You're going to have to bring it every night. I think for Vegas, you you look at it that way. Like for Vegas, it doesn't matter, right? Like you're you're in a you're in a Pacific Division fight. Like you're gonna have to win some road games. Yeah, it sucks that most of your games are you know double the games you have at home. You know are on the road. So yeah, is that tough? Sure, but seventeen, thirteen, and four on the road. That's not that's not an ugly road record by any stretch. So I think they're fine. For the Coyotes, that makes a world of difference. They're seven. You and I talked, but they were horrendous at home to start the year. They're seventeen, twelve, and four at home. 
right now. And I, you know, that's, it's, that's the same amount of wins that Edmonton has at home. That's more wins than Calgary has at home. And that's the same amount of wins that Nashville has at home. So they're, they're fine at home. That's huge. I, the Coyotes have to go five and all on this night. Like I, we talked about at the beginning of the show. It's one of those where, yeah, you, you have, you're at a point where you have to win all those games. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like you, you have to do it. And right now the Coyotes are just as close to a wild card spot, four points, as they are to Chicago, who's at four points as well, who sits sixth um, in that wild card race. So, you know, you're you're two, you're three wins away from being right back in it, and you're two losses away from dropping below a team right underneath you. Like that's how that's how important these next five home games are for the Coyotes. You know, I said. Um... Also this year, I said, you know, the Coyotes were so close last year to making a, uh, a playoff berth, and it would have been so important for the team at that point to make it. I think maybe even more important this year to get into the playoffs, especially the way they started, the acquisition of Taylor Hall, the new owner, and Alex Murillo, all those things that, that were positive things. Now when I look at it, though, there are some things that could happen here. They, they can take care of the Canucks on Thursday night. They have a shot against the Rangers. They get a day off, and then they get the Stars on Monday. And then the Golden Knights come in on Wednesday, and they've, they've been pretty well against the Golden Knights all in all. But here's the thing. The Golden Knights are going to come in off of a back-to-back for them. They're going to play on the road, uh, I mean, at home against the Stars, and then they're going to have to travel to, to Arizona. Not a big deal to go from Vegas here, but we've seen – in the last couple of years anyway, with the Golden Knights and the, the Coyotes, whoever gets the uh, the second game of the uh, back-to-back seems to be at a disadvantage. So, like, when the Golden Knights come here, it's going to be advantage Coyotes, you would think, right? Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of leaning that way that I, I just think the Coyotes have a shot. It's a matter of whether they can pull it together, like you said, these next five games, because after those five home games, it's a trip to play the Kings, who are playing better, especially with their young goaltender. And then they go to the Golden Knights. So, you know, by the 25th of March, we're certainly going to know what what lies ahead for both teams. Yeah, and, and the thing about the Coyotes is, is this is a team that a lot of those guys last year either played in that heartbreak or they had to sit in the press box with injuries for that heartbreak. And talk. I talked to Nick Schmaltz. You know, I did that story that's on Ice Time Hockey Southwest, uh, the website. And he said, you know, I asked him about it. I said, what, what is that like? You, you're sitting there and there's nothing you can do. You just got to hope. That, and he's, he basically was like, yeah, it's hard. Like, it was really hard for me. It was. He said it was the first time that he had ever gone through any sort of long-term injury like that. And, he said, yeah, it was hard to sit up there and, you know, not be able to help. And I think he's, you know, obviously scored twice last night. I don't think he's been too much of an issue. But just to, as a team in general, like, how do you not remember last year and say, yeah, we weren't even – most of us had to sit up in the press box and watch due to injury. And it sucked. And it sucked. Like, how are those – how are those not the guys driving this playoff push right now? That's that's what confuses me, right? Like, how how is it – Obviously, Jacob Chikrin's out, so that's a little bit different. But how isn't it Schmaltz? How isn't it when Jacob Chikrin returns? Like, 
how is it not those guys that are, are the ones pushing towards this playoff spot? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we talked a lot about uh, last show about four point games, right? Um, when you play a team within your division or within your playoff race, if you win that game, it's really like getting four points because you're keeping your, you're getting the two and you're keeping your opponent from getting two. So it's four points. But when you look at the stretch run here, um, the the Coyotes and the Golden Knights really can't help each other very much because there's just not a lot of battles with those teams that are close. The Golden Knights will have a chance to help the Coyotes by, by knocking off the Wild, um, you know, and then they've got the Stars. But then they play the Coyotes, so that's not going to help. And then they, uh, they have the Canucks, and then they have the Coyotes again, and then they have the Jets, the Oilers, and the Flames. But you look at the Oilers and the Flames, they, you know, they don't have to play these two teams. So they're going to have to, uh, to do battle with Vancouver and Edmonton. And Edmonton, the same thing. They're going to have Calgary and Vancouver. So, you know, I guess I, I, I kind of look at things kind of canceling each other out. And maybe that's when we look at the playoff picture. It's nice to be the Golden Knights and have 86 points right now because with 12 games left, you've got a little room for error where, as we've said a couple times over already on this show, the Coyotes just have no room for error whatsoever. The only advantage they have are those home games. And, um, you know, I don't I don't know what to say. I, I really don't. I'm going to get out, like I said, and see the, uh, the first four of this five-game homestand and, and see them in person. And I hope to see some, uh, some W's. And, you know, they, guys talked earlier this week about, or maybe the end of last week, about, how many points it would take to get into the playoffs did they think? And they said 92. So if, if you're going to get 92 points and you're at 74 now, um, I don't need to do math on that. That's a lot of wins. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. If you need 92, you need 18 points. You need to win nine games. You need to win nine of your last 12 games. Yeah. You got to go nine and three. Yeah. You have to go nine and three, which, isn't impossible. It sucks, but like I said, you know, everyone talks about ah, the season's too long and, and the start of the season's irrelevant. It's not. The start of the season is not irrelevant. I don't care what anybody says. For teams that are in this predicament, yeah. Ask Minnesota if the start of the season's irrelevant. With how bad they were, they were they were at one point this season, they occupied last place in the Western <laughs> Conference for more than twenty four hours. Yes. Ask Winnipeg, who who lost their top four defensemen last year, pretty much their top five defensemen last year, and had a really tough start to, this, to the year until they found their footing defensively and Connor Hellebuck found his footing. Ask them how important the start of the season is. Ask Chicago how important the start of the season is. Chicago couldn't play above 500 hockey for the first two months, and now it's a team that is, you know, they're still in it, I know it's eight points, but yeah, I mean, the start of the season is very important. And the reason the Coyotes are here is because they started so well. And, you know, almost on the opposite hand of Minnesota spent more than 24 hours in last place. The Coyotes spent multiple days in first place in the Pacific. Yes, they did. And not like, oh, they won game one and they're in first place. No, like into December, first place team. And, you know, they're – you lose the next two games. I I don't know what to tell you. You know, if they if they turn this into a four game losing streak, I 
I don't know. What's next? I, the next time, you know, if we're coming on the air next week, if we're coming on the air, um, probably won't be on next Monday because the Coyotes do play. We'll probably both be at that game. So we'll probably come on Tuesday. You know, if we're coming on Tuesday talking about how the Coyotes are on a five-game losing streak, and better, you know, yeah. I'll start – I'll start doing some. Yeah. I'll start doing some digging on on the top second round prospects because that's <laughs> that's what's next. That's what's next. That's the next step. So. Oh, you had to go there with that second round too, didn't you? Just had to stick the dagger in there one more time. Um, yeah, and and you look at what's coming down the pike. There are a lot of good players in the system still. So you know, but then you also look at the injuries. Connor Garland out again now, uh, or not again now, but out at a prime time of the season where you really would like to have your leading goal scorer, correct? And uh, and you get Darcy Kemper back, and, you know, he's rounding into form, but I still don't think he's the Darcy Kemper we saw before his injury. And uh, Auntie Ranta is playing well, but, you know, let, let's face it. We just said it. You got to go nine and three. And I look at the schedule, and I go, can it be done? Sure, it can, but you're going to have to pull pull something out somewhere because – if I'm looking at it, I think I can see four losses on here. When I talk about the Avalanche at the Avalanche, I talk about the Golden Knights in Vegas. There's two. And then I look at the Stars coming here and the Golden Knights coming here. Uh, those are potential loss games, and that makes it eight and four, and that would put you at 90 points, and I don't know if that's enough. I, I mean, obviously it depends on what happens in front of you, but all of a sudden – these teams are winning, but the Coyotes had a chance to kind of put themselves, you know, obviously stay in the division race, but put some separation between themselves. Kind of what Vegas has done, right? Like eight year ahead, eight points, you know, of a wild card team with 12 to go. Now, you know, if you want to simplify it, like into what baseball terms looks like, it's Vegas is up. They're four games up with 12 games to go. Like it yeah. would, it would take, a pretty spectacular collapse for Vegas to miss the playoffs. But, you know, they easily could not win the division. Like, I could you know, make an argument for Edmonton, Calgary, Vegas not winning the, winning the division. But, yeah, it would take a spectacular collapse. The Coyotes had a chance to put that separation in there, and they didn't. And, again, it's, yeah, oh, going nine and three is hard. It, it's almost impossible the hand you're dealt. If you want to get in the playoffs, that's what you have to do. It's, it is what it is, right? Like that's your reality. You know, you can't as much as I would love to go back and I can think of four points right now that they left on the table. The two that we discussed earlier with the stars and the flames, um, when you were at the game in early February after the all-star break where they lost to the Kings, where they were winning that game in the third period, and they lost in overtime. That's another point yes. right there. That's four points right there at the top of my head that they could have had. I'm sure there's plenty of other times, but four points off the top of my head. And it's the, it's the reality of the situation. It's you can't, you can't go back. You just got to look ahead and head is it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I think they just can't get ahead of themselves. They have to play it one game at a time. I know it's a cliche and I know everybody says it, but that really holds true for them on the golden Knights side of things. Um, you know, they caught themselves in a lull in December and they said, we got to make a coaching change. And it didn't come with a whole lot of uh, applause, let's say, when they went Peter, Peter DeBoer instead of uh, Gerard Gallant. But 
you look at what they've done now. They've tightened up defensively. They've gotten the most out of their uh, offensive players, and and it's paying dividends right now. Then they go in the trade deadline. They pick up Alex Martinez just a few days before the deadline, and then they get Robin Leonard right on the deadline. And wow, what a difference that makes! And and people are saying Robin Leonard hasn't even reached his potential yet uh, with the Golden Knights, and he's been stellar. So. You go from him to Mark Andre Fleury back to Leonard. You go back and forth, man. That sets you up nice for the playoffs. And I think the Golden Knights right now have their eyes focused on not only the Pacific. They they would like to win the West, which I don't think they will. But they're shooting for a hundred point season. They're fourteen points away from it now. So a lot like the Coyotes are looking to get to ninety two and secure a playoff spot. Hopefully, the Golden Knights are looking to get that magical one hundred points, and that's. Uh, that's going to take seven wins of their last 11 games. So they're both on trajectories for different reasons, but I think if they reach their potential, both teams will have a shot at the playoffs. It's just that one will be on the very top and one will probably be a, one of the wild cards. So it's going to be interesting coming down the stretch. Uh, I want to touch just a little bit. We'll end a little bit early today because um, we, you know, we, uh, we obviously had a lot to talk about, but, Things are winding down, and we got our uh, dirty dozen going. But I had a chance to go to Vegas and see the uh, the new practice home of the AHL affiliate up there, and I can't tell you how excited I am for more AHL hockey because, as I tell you all the time, when I go down to Tucson and see the Roadrunners play, to me that that's exciting hockey because those guys know that they're on the cusp of going to the NHL. They're giving it everything they have. The ticket prices are cheap. The seats are incredible because you're right along the glass and you're seeing NHL talent sometimes um, right at that level. So, you know, for an AHL team to move into Vegas, um, albeit they're going to be in Henderson, which is about 30 miles. One facility to the other is about 30 miles apart um, in the Vegas Metroplex, if you will. And then, of course, in a year, we're going to get that team in, in Palm Springs and for our business, for IcetimeHockeySW.com, uh, I am so thrilled that in two years we're going to have five uh, professional teams in our own backyard. Just your thoughts on the AHL and, and what that brings and how exciting that's going to be for fans. Yeah, that's huge selfishly for us. Um, I, if you're willing, I'll split half on a, on a hybrid, and, and we're going to have to take a lot of road trips up to <laughs> To Palm Springs and the Henderson, so I'll take you one more thing, buddy. I'm looking at. I think the set jet. Uh, that's the way to go to get on a, a jet out of Scottsdale and get to Vegas in no time. Uh, I I think that's that's the route to go down the road. But yeah, I agree. Uh, we need to uh, we need to cover cover some more uh, NHL and AHL hockey. But you know, one thing I'll say about Bill Foley is when he talks about doing something. It's talk is very short and the action is very long. Like he'll say, I want something done and it's time to get on it. And they're on it. So uh, big shout out to, to Bill Foley and the guys up in Vegas, because that practice facility is coming up quick and right behind it is going to be that AHL facility. So just your thoughts on AHL hockey in itself. What, what, what do you think about, and did you ever think that we'd see that caliber of play this close to our backyard? No, the Coyotes, before they move the Roadrunners down here, uh, their AHL affiliate was in Portland, Maine. I mean, the pretty much the 
northern, northeast, <laughs> most northeast part of the country you could think. Like, I mean, literally, like, six-hour flight down, down there is almost a seven-hour flight. Like, to get a guy here from Portland, right, like somebody gets hurt in, in morning skate, you're, you're screwed. Hopefully you, you have enough guys up. And I also think it gives more of an opportunity for guys to, to play, right? Because of the, such the long distance, you might keep a guy and, you know, you might keep an extra guy on the roster because, yeah, if somebody goes down, you won't have anybody. But whereas somebody, you know, gets a little nicked up in morning skate or, you know, they're a little tired and you need somebody else, you just you call the NHL, say, hey, we're calling this guy up. And it's a two-hour drive. I mean, you know, uh, Alex Murillo, that man's a billionaire. I'm sure he could send a helicopter down there and, and get get a call up over to the arena in 30 minutes if he needed to. Like that, you know, that's that's how important moving those teams are. And, yeah, it's a little bit different, you know, for uh, teams like Edmonton and Calgary who have their teams in Baker, you know, in Bakersfield and, and in Stockton. So it's a little bit farther. But, I mean, uh, my aunt – lives in Claremont, California, which is uh, approximately a, a 20 minute drive from Ontario or so. Ontario is a 30 minute drive from the Staples Center. Like if somebody got called up from Ontario, it would literally just be like, oh, I got to drive 30 minutes to the other. Instead of driving to the Ontario ring, I just got to <laughs> drive downtown LA. Like, right. That's how important it is. And yeah, it's, it's crazy to think 10 years ago. I mean, all the American league teams were in the East coast. Like it was literally yes. like there was all, all on the East Coast, all on the, the pretty much the east side of the Mississippi River, and now you have an entire what you have an entire division dedicated to the Pacific. Like ne- never in a million years, never in ten years did I think that was going to happen. And look at us now. <laughs> we're we're talking <laughs> about yeah, the ice time hockey Southwest. Five professional teams between the NHL and the AHL that we're able to cover. Like Scott, if I asked you five years ago. Hey, if I told you five years ago, hey, there's going to be five teams at the professional level we're going to be able to cover, you would ask me what kind of drugs I was taking because there was well, no first out, first I would have said, did are. the coronavirus come five years ago, and w- what's infected you, Seth? Because you're that this isn't good. But uh, it, the, and I'll say that same thing with with what Vegas is doing. You know, when they came into the league, everybody said, "Where's that AHL team going to be? Where's it going to be?" And they said, "We're going to go to Chicago for a couple of years." And everybody said, Chicago, that's awful. And then they said, oh, well, maybe they're going to put it in Reno. Maybe they're going to put it in, you know, in Prescott Valley, or maybe it's going to go, you know, somewhere in Salt Lake City. Uh, We heard all kinds of things. And for them to go, no, we're going to make a a minor league facility right over in Henderson, and we're going to have them here. And then they go out in a ticket drive, and they're going to have a 6,000-seat arena with 20 luxury boxes. And they're gonna. They've already taken deposits on fifty three hundred season tickets. You know, I can do math a little bit, and that tells me that there's only like what seven hundred seats left for the general public. If you sell fifty three hundred season tickets, I mean, and yeah. and they did it. They did it the right way because they said, "Here's what happened." You talk about that thirty minute drive from Ontario to L.A. It's the same thing. It's it's maybe less than thirty minutes in Vegas. And what they want to do is they want to have their Henderson Silver Knights, if I can go as be that bold as to say that's what they'll be. Uh, if they are the Silver Knights and they have the Golden Knights and they've got 50 players between the two rosters, 
all 50 of those players are going to be able to find a home in the Vegas metro area. And depending on what team they're on, they can go back and forth. It's going to be one big community. I mean, it's it, it, to me, it's just unheard of because I would have never thought that Vegas would even be able to field one team, much less two. Yeah, and I think part of that that helps is that the Knights are their, the first professional team. I know they had the XFL team. That doesn't – I'm not going to count that. But they're the <laughs> first – not only are they the first professional team there, but they're brand new. Like the Raiders are coming to Vegas. The Raiders have been, you know, passed around like a cigarette. Like they've been in yeah. every every city yeah, we know in Southern California. Like, yeah, like <laughs> again, like yeah, it's night. You know, I think Vegas fans are excited that the Raiders are coming. But this is fresh out of the box, Vegas. This is your team. We're starting day one with you. That's why they connect so well to the community. Again, going to a Stanley Cup final in your first year helps a ton. But that's why you're seeing the success there. It's because this is a an organization that has come in day one and has committed themselves to the community. I, you and I talk to Aaron Cohen a lot. You know, anytime there's a big Coyotes press conference, he's more than happy to talk to us, and, and we really appreciate uh, his time. And, and you talk to him, and he always says he they want to do things from a grassroots level, and they want to give back to the community. And, he, you know, he always mentions you take a look at the Dallas Stars and, and you take a look at, at the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, you know, I, I'm sure he'll never say publicly on the record, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, hey, you, can't, you can't give a shout out to your rivals. But, I, yeah, you look at what the Knights did since day one. I mean, even before they revealed the Golden Knights, people in that community were ecstatic. They were connecting to that community already. So, I think the way Vegas is handling themselves, and you're right. Yeah, all of a sudden you're going to have 50 guys a part of one organization able to buy a house in the same area, and it's going to be no problem. Like the transition is going to be so easy, right? Like, yeah, they'll probably practice near this the same place. It's not like you're not flying from Portland, Maine to Glendale, Arizona. That's not that's not different. You're in the same city. I'm sure a lot of the you know the AHL due to money and travel restrictions. They only play, for the most part, Friday and Saturday. So you're probably going to see a lot of those guys at the games, you know, midweek games, Monday through Thursday. And, you know, while they're not going to be in the locker room, you know, hanging out with with the the main squad guys, they're still going to be around that organization. And I'm sure it'll be encouraged for them to to come out and and almost – it's almost a, hey, this is what you're working towards. This is exactly what you're working towards. So it's it's great where you can bring – you know, if you're in the AHL and, and you have a, a young guy that's struggling to find his footing and or maybe a, a European guy who's having a hard time adjusting to the North American game and isn't sure about himself, all you got to do is, he's, hey, just come to just come to downtown Las Vegas, you know, only a 20-minute drive from your house. Come take a look at what you're looking for, what you're working for, and, and why you shouldn't give up on yourself. So not only is it great just in case of an injury or a quick call-up, but an easy way to get guys motivated too if, if they're feeling down on themselves. Well, the other thing that I'll say uh, real quickly so we don't get going too crazy here, but uh, with the Golden Knights, they built that clientele. And like you say, going to the uh, Stanley Cup final in their first year was a was a huge step. But they built this tremendous push of people, right, and, and prospective fans. And they got to the point where they sell out every night. There's 18,000 people in the building 
But there's also another 10,000 people, let's say, that are wanting to be in that position, right? And they there aren't any seats available or it's priced out of their league or whatever it is. So guess what? Three years later, you bring in an AHL team, or four years, I guess, you bring in an AHL franchise, and now guess what? The tickets are cheaper, but there's also 6,000 more seats for those 10,000 people that are maybe standing outside wanting to be a part of the Golden Knights organization. And what I can tell you, uh, just from being around the Golden Knights organization for the last three years, they will do it right in the AHL. They will make it a fun environment. They will keep the tickets prices in a position where people can get in there and enjoy them. They'll have an entertainment uh, extravaganza, if you will, like they do with Golden Knights games. They, they will not leave any stone unturned. That's just not something that Bill Foley is interested in doing. And I think it's going to give the city of Henderson their own franchise, right? They're going to say, we're the Henderson Silver Knights or whatever they turn out to be. And that's going to give them a lot of pride. It's going to give people on that side of the Vegas Metroplex um, the pride that they've been searching for. Maybe they didn't feel like they were part of the Vegas Golden Knights, but they can definitely be a part of the Henderson Silver Knights. So I would expect them to be equally as talented and equally as good as any other AHL team out here. Yeah, and like you said, Vegas, they don't sit back on anything. They don't take anything off. They don't they don't pull any any stops, right? Like they they go all out. And obviously it'll be Henderson and, and maybe at a little bit of a tamer level, but yeah, you're still going to get that golden Knights experience. It's the same organization. And you've been to a Roadrunners game more recently than I have. Uh, and but the last time I went was actually during the last playoffs um, for the Roadrunners. And they're definitely, again, and things may have changed now that there's a new owner, you know, Aaron Cohen's in there. That was before Aaron Cohen took over, but there's kind of almost a, disconnect between parent and sibling franchise, right? Like it was, it, it just didn't feel like it, in terms of like entertainment side, off ice side of things like the coyotes weren't working hand in hand, right? Like obviously they were yes. sending their guys yeah. down, had their coaching staff there, but I think that's changed a little bit. I, what have you seen? Uh, do you feel that the coyotes are, um, they're not like, Hey, this is just the team down in Tucson that we send our guys to. Are they more involved kind of, in helping Tucson grow the game. Definitely. And and let me just say quickly on that front, uh, just the Kachina Coyote and the Kachina Roadrunner that they came up with for Saturday night games, that alone tells you that there's a new connection between the two. Um, The disadvantage, I guess, and and when I kind of look at it that way, is it's 130 miles, not 30 miles, right? So that's a little bit of distance. And then the other thing I think you'd see is, and you know, you know this, I mean, Arizona State, U of A, that's a rivalry, right? Tucson, Phoenix, that's a rivalry. Um, that's not the case in Henderson and Las Vegas. They're all one community, and they just have uh, their own little entities, if you will. They're, they're still one, but they're all cheering on the same thing. You'd be hard-pressed to find many hardcore Sun Devil fans that would cheer for uh, U of A at anything, right? Um, we see it at the a, at the uh, ACHA level and things where <laughs> there's there's a lot of animosity between those two schools, and I think that still kind of exists um, 
in the pro scene. And I think the Coyotes have done an excellent job of bringing the two together as well as they can. But, hey, it's still Tucson. It's still Phoenix. They're two separate cities. Now, I don't want to alienate our Tucson audience, and so uh, I'm going to apologize early. Good, but good job. <laughs> the the um, well, but the what I just got thinking about, and, and you mentioned how close Henderson and Vegas are. the The arena downtown, Talking Stick Resort Arena, is getting remodeled this summer, so that's that pushes the Phoenix Mercury, the the WNBA team. Uh, that's going to push them into the Madhouse on McDowell, the Coliseum. Uh, at the veteran, Veterans Memorial Coliseum at, on the fairgrounds. Obviously, they've had, they have concerts in there during the fair and stuff, but obviously they're going to have to do some sort of, you know, kind of new maintenance kind of update to make sure that's upgrades for, sure. yep. for basketball. Do you think there's ever going to be a time where the Coyotes think, huh, maybe, just maybe, they would move the Roadrunners up to Phoenix and play there. Kind of the same thing as Henderson. Smaller venue, 7,000 seats, 8,000 seats. It's a lot closer. You can have all your guys in one place. You can use the same practice facility. Uh, do the Coyotes ever look at Vegas and say, hmm, maybe having them that close isn't a bad idea? Um, never say never. Uh, I'll say that right off the top. Uh, I don't think it's likely, but, and, and here's the difference, Seth, as, as we just elaborated to a little earlier, but the, uh, the Golden Knights are the Golden Knights, and their only other professional team really that's going to affect them is the, uh, the Raiders, where when you are in the Phoenix metro area, you've got the Coyotes, you've got the road, you would have the Roadrunners then, you have the Suns, you have the Cardinals, you have ASU uh, basketball, you have NCAA hockey. I don't know that is the Valley big enough to support it. Sure it is. But is there diehard fans uh, for that? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think initially when, when they said they were bringing their team out here, I thought the place to go is Prescott Valley. Uh, it's about 60 miles closer to uh, Glendale than Tucson is. They had a ready built arena with uh, the right size with luxury boxes. It had previously housed, uh, minor league hockey, that to me would have been the place to go, to be honest with you. I know how close they were personally to going there. I know that they were just about there. And maybe if Alex Murillo and uh, Aaron Cohn had been in charge at that time, they may have ended up there. And that might have been something very similar because I think that would have brought the excitement to, to uh, Prescott Valley area. But um, as far as them coming down, I'm not going to say that could never happen, but I think it's highly unlikely just because you're going to ask them then to compete in a marketplace with with the Coyotes and NCAA hockey at ASU and and then all the other major sports. So, you know, if it were to happen, I would say, and my recommendation would be is get a hold of uh, Catfish up at uh, Prescott Valley at the uh, Finlay Toyota Center and, and, and get a deal back up there where the uh, – the Northern Arizona Suns are. I think that's just a fantastic facility for minor league hockey. And if that's where they were going to play, I would think that would be a major win for both uh, both franchises. Now, all right. Again, your with, thoughts. Final thoughts. Yeah. Sorry. One more thing, and probably one more thing to upset 
or Tucson people, but <laughs> the the one the one rink they have now is the Tucson Convention Center, and you're a lot more connected to Tucson hockey than I am. But from you know being around GCU and and U of A, you know, kind of talking to some people who've been in the U of A program, there's a lot of talk that if they don't get a second ring, and it's been a pretty a lot more difficult than I would have ever expected, especially, you know, U of A is growing. They have the roadrunners. It's been really difficult to get that second rink. Uh, is there going to be a certain point where, you know, the ice has been tough. It's been kind of somewhat well-documented that the ice, you know, it, it's been kind of tough to keep the ice up at the convention center. And it's not really the, the most favorite place for a lot of road teams to play. And do you think that if, Tucson, the city itself, isn't dedicated to growing the game down there, building that second rink, or even getting more youth leagues. Do you think that maybe at some point the Coyotes are like, okay, this city isn't on board with what we're trying to do and growing the game in the state, and maybe they do go explore up in Prescott Valley where NAU hockey at one point was Division One, and you know their community is really connected to the NAUACHA team. Like, is there a certain point you think where the Coyotes, as they're you know they're growing the game and they're pushing their youth development, that at some point they're like maybe Tucson isn't in line with the city, you know, not the franchise, but the city itself isn't valuing what we're trying to do. Well, you know, I'll, we could go on for this for hours, but um, I'll wrap things up on on what I think and what I kind of know is that the uh, the University of Arizona is desperately in in need for their own facility to continue to grow their program too. And I know they are making a push sooner rather than later to try to get a facility of their own. That would be a big step for them. That would also help the youth programs. I think it's kind of a race, if you will, between the uh, the Tucson Roadrunners and the uh, Arizona Wildcats to see who can get their building first because whoever does is going to be the recipient of a lot of youth hockey hours bought in as well as a facility which they can call their own and have ice year-round. And that's the big thing for, uh, for U of A hockey right now is that they have a really hard time, um, and, and I shouldn't say competing because they were the best team in the West and in the ACHA right now, but that's one of the things that they've always said is that we can't continue to not have our own building because we've got a bunch of fans. I mean, there were 4,000 for the uh, ASU U of A game a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, if you put them in a 4,000-seat building, now the place is really raucous. And it's somewhere they can call their own. They can have off-season camps. They can bring in youth. So I think what's more likely to happen is that U of A gets their own facility. And then uh, that may also strengthen uh, the AHL facility because they may then push a little harder with the convention center to get some more ice time. All right. Well, um, I said we were going to go short. We go long. <laughs> but that's what happens when we start talking professional hockey, folks. So big shout-out to Seth Askelson, my co-host, for joining me again tonight on a Tuesday night. We'll be back again next Tuesday night because of our, our Monday schedule with hockey. Get out to your Arizona Coyotes. Get out to your Vegas Golden Knights. It's uh be an opportunity to see some really good hockey. Really down to crunch time. I'm calling it the Dirty Dozen. There's 12 games left for the Coyotes. 11 now remaining for the Golden Knights in that Dirty Dozen. But everybody's got something to play for. For our sponsors, uh, OxyPow 
M Drive, our friends over at uh, Behind the Mask, the Ice Den Scottsdale and Chandler, of course, Oceanside Ice Arena, our friends over at the uh, Roger Klein and the uh, the Peacemakers for providing us with some music. Roger Klein, Cantillon, Cantillon Tequila, our friends at uh, M Drive who just re-upped again for another year of What Drives You. Thanks to uh, to those folks and. Of course, our friends at Jesse Ray Barbecue up in uh, Tucson that has the best barbecue that I've ever tasted. So for everybody on board with us here at Ice Time Hockey SW, this is another wrap of Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Seth, have a great evening. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate you having me on.